Welcome to The Adjacent Self, the podcast where you're going to learn how to step into the best version of you. The Adjacent Self is a space right next to us, inviting us to fulfill our potential for greatness. It's available for everyone, and together we'll explore how to get there. Part of that journey includes taking risks, pushing boundaries, and questioning the norm. This podcast is brought to you by the Conscious Leadership Academy at the University of San Diego. We're your hosts, Kendra and Libby. I'm Kendra, and I'm currently focusing on putting myself first because recently I've realized that I'm way too tied to the opinions of others, so I need to put a stop on that and the need to be perfect. And I'm Libby. One thing this pandemic has shown me is that I'm able to craft and create my own life, and now I'm working towards a life I want and giving myself grace every day. And now for the technical stuff. We're both leadership coaches and alumni of the Masters in Leadership Studies program from USD. And we both work at the CLA as well. The Conscious Leadership Academy, or CLA as we both know, does workshops, conferences, and coaching for individuals and organizations who want a more effective way to do leadership. So with our first episode, we're really excited to have the Conscious Leadership Academy director, Lori Sulpizio. Let's jump right in. All right. So we want to just start our podcast with a nice, deep, centering breath so we can all come together as a collective. So on the count of three, just take a nice deep breath in and out. One, two, three. Okay, perfect. So I'm very excited. We're here today with Dr. Lori Sulpizio. She is the director of the Conscious Leadership Academy over at the University of San Diego. And one fun fact about Lori is she's actually a former basketball coach turned leadership professional. Um, She's a mother. She's an amazing person. We're so lucky to have her here today. Thank you for coming. Yeah, it's fun. So Lori, we're really going to talk today about Conscious Leadership, the Conscious Leadership Academy. Um, and I know, you know, everybody has a journey. So I was wondering if you could share a bit about your journey and getting to where you are today. Wow. That's a question, right? I mean, our journeys are a huge question, but I'll try to give maybe the most significant pieces, I think. So um, in terms of my career, the basketball coach is important because I was a college basketball coach. I loved coaching. Out of high school, I knew right away I wanted to be a basketball coach and an English teacher or a basketball coach and a writer. So it was so great to get into that and feel like I was actually doing what I wanted to do with my life. Um, At the same time, like while I'm coaching basketball, I'm living my life, you know, because I'm a lesbian. I had a wife and we decided we were going to have a child um, and I was going to get pregnant. And we made a decision at that point that if we were going to do that and have a child we weren't going to do it with shame so we weren't going to be closeted so that's kind of all happening at the same time it's always been my gift i guess to um kind of see injustice and speak to it i can't not (laughs) so as you see it becomes a curse sometimes so at the school where i was at there were a lot of gender inequities a ton of them and i voiced them i would say hey why does girls softball get this and boys baseball get this? And why do the women faculty this and the men faculty this and kept voicing it? Well, one day um, after I'd been coaching at this particular school um, for almost nine years, I walked into a meeting with my athletic director that I thought was a standard meeting and I was fired flat out. You are not coming back as basketball coach. Now I wasn't a full-time tenure track at the time and, and coaching is different. Actually coaching doesn't totally have that. So there's, there isn't, 
necessarily job security. So I was blindsided, like, what the heck? I was in the PhD program at USD studying coach-athlete relationships for my dissertation. I mean, it was like I was on the athletic, become an AD, become a, you know, uh, higher ed president, train, mm -hmm. knocked off the track. So um, the lesbian basketball world is a small one, and the news quickly spread, and three different law firms, including the National Center for Lesbian Rights, took up my case. Um, we sued, so I agreed to kind of jump on this boat, and we sued the district, the college, and the athletic director. It was a brutal three-year process, um, but we won in a trial by jury, like the first ever trial by jury at the community college level for um, Title IX retaliation, which is illegal. You can't retaliate when people bring up injustices. Um, gender discrimination and homophobia. So it's nice to tell the story that way, but it sucked. I mean, you know, I wanted to be a basketball coach. That was going to be my, my journey. Luckily, like I said, I was in the PhD program and I had an amazing advisor who now is a very close friend, Dr. Cheryl Getz, who I think you both know, who also was a basketball coach in her day back at, at USD, actually. And she, you know, could resonate with my experience and we had, I had to pivot. It's like, and now what I'm, you know, two years, two and a half years into this PhD program, what the hell am I going to do? I was pregnant with my third child at the time. So it took some time. I mean, it, there was a little bit of time for me to be out with my first son, my second son. And then that was when I was pregnant with my third, my daughter. And so we pivoted and it was um, recognizing that I love helping people on their journey. I love, women empowerment. I love helping girls and women. And so there's a lot of similarity between the work that I do now, I think, and coaching, actually. Um, so that's how I got to this particular kind of place in my career, as I was able to pivot from that career. And I received you know, a ton of blessing, ton of support from amazing folks to get to where I am now. Um, so I think that's a career thing. My own personal journey, I would say, I probably would just, I guess, end there. That would be my, that, that's how I got here in terms of where we are today. Okay, perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, it really reminds me, I was watching um, a Reese Witherspoon show, Shine On, on Netflix. Have you oh, seen that? Yeah. Oh, no. She interviewed um, Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach. Yeah. Um, and Abby was talking to a group of small children. They were maybe nine, 10 years old. And she said, you know, I'm a former soccer player. And she talked to them about Title IX. Yeah. And later on, she sat down at a little round table with Reese and Glennon, and they really had a conversation about how Title IX is a tool that we need to keep alive, yeah. that if we don't enforce it ourselves, then it will die, because it's something that we have to stay vigilant about. Totally. So I think that's great that you went in there and you said, you know what, no, this isn't right, and I'm going to go ahead and keep Title IX alive. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, not to get off topic from conscious leadership, but I think related to the work that we all do is the issues of the injustices that we have seen. And it's not like they never were there and all of a sudden they're there. Like they've just come more to light. And I think it's this idea that, you know, the policies like Title IX and kind of racial, racial gender, sexuality, you know, equal employment clauses, they're only great if we kind of live them out, mm -hmm. right? And unfortunately, our systems don't yet live them out, you know, and from a systemic place. So it takes people having the courage to use their voice and say, no, 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 <laughs> you know, this isn't okay. And we don't do this and this is an injustice. And 
it's so important and there's real consequence. So we see why people don't, you know, right. because yeah. there's, there's real consequence for that. So. Yeah. yeah. With that, like how you went and you were part of this, this suit and obviously you said you won, but where in that, like, was that the beginning of being conscious and conscious living and leadership for you? Or was that like kind of thrusting you into it or. Yeah. What you know, you it's so the other part of the story I was going to tell, which kind of goes back, I think into my, I say high school, but it was before high school where I started to have a sense about my sexuality being not heterosexual. Right. And so that part of me, there was an awareness of myself and the world that there was a disconnect. So I think awareness in general started there because I had this sense of, wait a minute, the world seems to work this way, but I'm seeming to work this way and it doesn't always fit and it really doesn't fit here and oh, it could fit there with those people. And so that awareness really started at that point, I think for me. And then it took a very long time, you know, kind of through high school into sort of early undergrad where I was able to kind of really find out what that looked like for me living it out with some kind of security around my sense of self. Okay, so with that being said, we're here to talk about conscious leadership. So we've heard a lot right now about like leadership styles. I feel like every week I read something new about leadership, but what is the conscious, like what's the difference with conscious leadership? What does that mean to you? Yeah, great question. I think two things. If I can step back first and just explain what we mean by leadership in general. So we view leadership as something that we all do. So it's not something that you are, per se. It's a role or it's, so it's not a role, actually. It's a practice or a process. And what it is is this practice or process of saying, I see the potential in this team. I see the potential in you and you, and I'm going to hold myself responsible for kind of maximizing that potential and doing that with individuals and doing that as a team and then doing that for organizations, right? So that essentially is one perspective of leadership. And that comes from Brene Brown. That's kind of where my influence with Brene, um, maximizing the potential in people and processes. But the other aspect of leadership that I think complements that is one that we teach at the University of San Diego, which is adaptive leadership. And this is the idea that leadership addresses those problems that don't have clear answers. So again, you could be potentially the CEO and do that, or you could be on the warehouse floor and be addressing those problems. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the idea of leadership for those folks in the corner office isn't necessarily these ideas that we you know, are adopting and trying to promote. It's still very much authoritarian, command and control, and we know that just doesn't work, right? It's, doesn't work. So, um, so I think from that place of leadership now, conscious leadership is saying, can I be more aware and attentive to a wider perspective? So for example, if we have a flashlight, kind of a thin little flashlight, and I'm kind of shining it right there, and sort of that's the lens and, and the beam with which I see the problems and the solutions available for me, that's one part. If I can get a wide beam flashlight, now all of a sudden, I have so much more vision and places where I can put my attention and be curious and be aware it's harder because all of a sudden you've got multiple stakeholders, opinions, emotions, possibilities. It's a much more complicated and nuanced perspective, but it's more useful because you've got so much more than to work with. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the faults of leadership is we work with very narrow information mm -hmm. and the conscious leadership then says, wait a minute, let's open it up and get more information. 
that information includes information about myself, right? So the conscious piece also is, can I be conscious about me, kind of my authenticity or places where maybe I get lack thereof and where I'm triggered and how I'm responding to this problem and what's needed versus what I want. I mean, so the self is also a big part of the conscious leadership. Perfect. So there's a lot of talk too about leadership style. Um, so we're talking about kind of, you mentioned adaptive leadership, right? So there's like these different leadership styles. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that as a whole? Yeah, so let me say, I don't know that like adaptive leadership or dare to lead, or they're leadership theories, I would say, right? So that's kind of a, a theory around how to do leadership effectively. When we think of style, we probably mean like the, the flavor and flair with which somebody does leadership you know maybe it's the pace with which you work or um, if you're introverted or extroverted and how that kind of shows in your way i don't totally love the thought of it one style because i think it pigeonholes us number one and i think the best leaders can find the ability to access many styles depending on what the person needs or the you know the people need or the problem needs right the other challenge with style is it's really affected women negatively um, because the typical style of leadership then would be be decisive, be aggressive, be commanding, you know, don't be uncertain, act like you know, be confident. And that style conflicts kind of wholeheartedly and, and very directly with kind of women's way in terms of what is socially accepted for feminine. It's not be direct, be aggressive, right? It's very different. And it conflicts with the way many women feel comfortable taking up their leadership. So being maybe more collaborative or being more nurturing or showing compassion. So I think we have to be careful when we think about style more. How do you take up sort of your authority to practice leadership and sort of get things done? So maybe, you know, your style, you recognize your tendencies, right? So maybe instead of style, we would say, I recognize my tendencies, which is I talk fast and move fast story right so I'm told like slow down Sulpizio you know talk slower so my style potentially could be talk fast but I don't know that that's a leadership style or more just a tendency and I'm learning that to be effective like slow down you know that's important and I can do that I just have to maybe learn to do it so I would say um, we might have patterns preferences tendencies that come more naturally and then the question is how do those work for us where do those really serve us well? And where might we want to grow and kind of expand our ability to adopt more you know, practices that would help us be more effective at leadership? Perfect. That's a great answer. Yeah, I relate to that talk fast thing. Like, I, it, yeah. I wonder if it's for you, like, getting excited. Because I know when I do it, it's like I'm really amped about something. Yeah. I right uh, now. Uh, <laughs> but, but do you move? Do you like move through the world fast too? I do. Okay, so me too. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like hey, Tesla, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know. And I think it's I just live fast, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You I mean maybe you do too? Absolutely. So the idea, like, gonna be fine, even better if we slow down, right? right? But yeah. then it's like what? So you yeah. start to twitch and get a little nervous. <laughs> but it's so slow, like. But then it's like how you said, like, slow down, put the brakes on. Maybe I'll notice something that right. I missed because I was going so quickly. So I, that's a constant reminder for me to just so like true. deep breath. Yep. What's around you? Yeah. Yeah. Such a great practice. Yeah. Not an easy one. Right? It's not at all for us <laughs> fast moving people. It's so true. <laughs> Especially when you're at, like me, I'm a shoot first, ask question, or shoot first, aim later, yeah, ask yeah, questions yeah. later right. kind of person. So I just, 
what do they say? Ready, ready, fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just am like, then I, later on, I'm like, oh, I missed this important step. And I think part of what I'm doing now is kind of backtracking and, and looking at, okay, what step did I miss? Yeah. And how do I, in the moment, pause myself yep. and then think through that? So do you have any advice about taking that time really moment to moment and being mm -hmm. conscious with how yeah. you're behaving and, and what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I love that metaphor of like, what is it sort of like, what, aim, fire, shoot, aim, yeah. firing, whatever it was, right? But you're aiming at the end. Um, the idea is, can we pause and stop and just take that moment to aim? And so that's an awareness that we have a tendency to move fast, recognizing, and this is where the body comes in, the physical body, recognizing I'm talking fast, you know, I'm feeling kind of anxious and bubbly because I'm excited, not even a bad thing, but just because we're super activated. And can we recognize that and say, okay, before we fire, let's just be sure the aim is right. You know, let's just make sure we have a sense of the correct target. Um, and so it is that awareness of that trigger, no pun intended, right? The trigger or the, the pattern to kind of stop yourself and say, take three breaths, look at the info again, you know, do I need to ask somebody another question? Am I missing anything? You know, is there somebody else I should talk to before I do this and then move forward? Um, so I think the fact that we're talking about conscious leadership right now is so relevant with our outside world. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff is going on. We're moving into a political season. We have social justice issues. It's a lot right now. So what do you think, um, how are you managing within the work you're doing and being conscious right now? Yeah, I mean, so if I hear the question right, it's sort of how am I personally being conscious in this time? In this time, yeah, as a leader, as a, I know you're a mother, yeah. you're a friend, you're a coach. Yep, thank you. Business yeah. owner, so. I mean, a couple of different ways. I mean, I had the experience literally today with my, my two best friends, and I've been my best friends forever and ever. Um, we just leave messages back and forth to each other because we don't get to see each other that much. So we'll leave like, I mean, sometimes literally like a 15 minute message and we listen to it while driving. And so we get to stay connected. But my one friend today left a message and was sharing how she's been really reflective about the passing of RBG, you know, mm -hmm. Ruth Bitter Ginsburg and how she wants to have hope, but she's not feeling like she can, thinking there's gonna be a Supreme Court justice probably moved forward, that there's potentially been three in this term, um, and what it's gonna mean for you know, women's right to choose, healthcare, LGBTQ, um, and she got teary, you know, and, and she, and it was, I think it's a really hard time because it's easy to feel hopeless, I think right now, and think the world's just kind of going to hell in a handbasket, which maybe parts of it is, but I feel like, so what I can try to do perhaps is just keep a positive orientation sort of for me and my small circle and see if that might translate out to the world, mm -hmm. right? So with my kids, can we just anchor to the present moment and have conversations about what this means? And if, you know, we lose women's right to choose again, what does that mean? And we were there before and how did we get through it? And can we just sort of be curious about it and non-judgmental even for our own experience, mm -hmm. right? So that's one part is just trying to stay curious and find places where optimism, you know, can be present. Right. 
the other part is, you know, you mentioned Reese and Glennon and Abby. There's a lot of great people doing a lot of great work right now. I mean, there really is. And I know we're all fighting an uphill battle and we may feel like, you know, is it kind of Prometheus pushing the rock, you know, up the mountain? But I try to anchor to that, you know, I try to take the social media feeds of, you know, Liz Gilbert and, and some of these amazing other women that are coming to share their stories about living as women of color in oppressive institutions and finding their voice about it or really great men who are becoming allies and just finding hope where there is hope because I think there is some people doing great work um, and just connecting in the belief in humanity. You know, I think that's the other part is we are wired to survive. Now, how we survive, I think, is kind of a choice point for us. Um, but if enough of us here choose a better survival method, maybe one built on connection, um, kind of ending the division, kind of caring for our planet, then hopefully we can steer the ship, you know, turn the ship and steer it in a different way. Um, and then personally, you know, I'm a big, being a former basketball coach and athlete, Working out, getting outside is critical to my you know, health. Um, and every now and then, a, a good bourbon doesn't hurt you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, not going to lie. Every now and then, at the end of the day, it's like, where's my glass? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and when you mention my kids, I've had the four kids home since March, still trying to work full time mm -hmm. and trying to help them through this time, managing Zoom school. I mean, you know, just today, you, know, you all beat me here to this space because my one daughter was frustrated because she has to get COVID tested tomorrow because they're going back to school next week because she doesn't have school clothes and shit. I mean, it's like, and then her computer's not right. It's, you know, just meltdown city. Um, and so just supporting them through this transition, which is unique to them and something they're not familiar with and trying to hold a job, you know, I just have incredible compassion for all parents, but specifically moms that are trying to manage their kids at home and live a life, you know? Absolutely. It is not the easiest, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't have kids, but I don't envy <laughs> Yeah. But I know, like, my mom friends, like, I give them applause every day because I can't imagine. This has been, like, six months now. I yeah. have to do this. So. Oh, it's been, yeah, it's been amazing. Oh, and, you know, just a shout out to the teachers at my kids' school particularly, and I'm sure all over, they're showing up, doing Zoom lessons, and I know a lot of them have their own kids at home, and yet they're on all day teaching my kids. And I'm like, and I know how hard it is having my kids and working, and I have a little flexibility. You have to be on Zoom with the kids that you're teaching, and you have your kids. It's like women are just showing up, yes. I think, right now, and showing resiliency and showing capacity. I'm like, that's something to celebrate, you know? Yeah. Um, and men too. I don't want to say men aren't doing it. I mean, I have three sons. I'm raising three white males, which is, you know, I think maybe even harder than raising the daughter because um, we need good white males in the world, right? We really need some good ones. And so how to do that, there is no roadmap and not a lot of great examples kind of out in front of us all. So um, I know there's men doing great things right now too. Um, you know, it makes me think about something that Kamala Harris said about how she was asked, I think, once, is this a, a relay or a marathon? And she, or is it a sprint or a marathon? And she said, it's a relay race. Oh, She's like, you have to run when you have the time and the energy and just the physical and mental wherewithal yeah. to go full out, then that's your time to run. Yeah. And then when you can, you pass that baton to the next person in line who's right. willing to take up that energy and you rest because you're gonna be called upon again right. to yep. run again. And so I love that like idea of building community, 
you know, being that kind of pillar in your community that continues to bring the positive light, yeah. continues to show up with compassion so that we can rejuvenate and re-energize ourselves and each other because we have a big so fight great. I love that. I mean, what a, I haven't heard, I didn't hear that metaphor, but what a great metaphor because it also tells us that we're not alone, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Excuse me, this piece that you do have a team with you, yeah. you know, there's someone that's going to, you know, take the baton from you and then you're going to be expected to take it from someone else. And the fact that we can, I think, anchor to the fact that we have a team is so powerful and helpful. Yeah. Yeah. What is in store, um, would you say, for the future of leadership? Yeah, it's such a great question. I mean, I... So I don't know, but I'll tell you what I hope, right? So what I, what I believe or what I want to believe. I think if we look at the next five years, the effective leaders are going to be the ones that embody this range of perspective and practice that includes traditional, more masculine approaches to leadership and emerging feminine approaches to leadership. It's going to be the folks that are willing to recognize that this country and much of our world has been built around injustices and oppression and are going to have to be willing to just accept it, own it, but make their organizations better for it. And that means doing really hard work and it means not turning a blind eye. It means willing to connect and not divide. Um, it means prioritizing our earth. And I think we're gonna have to start doing that also across the board. And I think that those are gonna be the leaders that are gonna be standing, you know, in five years, 10 years. Those are gonna be the organizations that are gonna be thriving. Um, and, the, and the ones that don't and are kind of holding on to this kind of white patriarchal, you know, old ideals are gonna not be able to thrive. You know, and I don't know what's going to get us there. I'm not sure if it's going to be the community push, the push of the people, the demand of people to say, you know, demand of leaders. Is it going to be both and? But I do think that um, leadership is going to have to shift. Yeah. I think it's going to have to shift. And leadership includes things like police, and that is authority, and they have the potential to do leadership in our political system. And um, if it doesn't shift, I, I don't know how much people are going to put up with kind of the shenanigans that we've been faced, you know? Yeah, I don't see it lasting much longer. People want their representation. Yeah. They want yeah. to see people who look like them in powerful positions right now. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah. I think. And I mean, just thinking about the political climate that we have going on right now, and, and with the passing of RBG, um, everything that's going on in the world, including the pandemic, it's, it just seems like 2020 has been a real mess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be saying we're doing this in 20, you know, what, September of 2020. It's been a mess, right. you know? I mean, it's even, I saw a meme too, and someone said if, when um, Chadwick, is it Brosnan? What has Brosnan, right? Yeah. And then uh, um, someone put a picture of, so you would have told me, you know, in February that Kobe and Black Panther was going to, I would say, heck no, right. you know? And then, you know, RBG and this pandemic and the rise, and it's like, yeah what in the world, you know, what is going on? Yeah. But it's like a wake up call. I think it's one of those opportunities to say, what is going on? So instead of doing it in disbelief, doing it with curiosity to say, what is going on? You know, with me as an individual, mm -hmm. my family, with our societies, mm -hmm. with our world, and then what can we do about it, yeah. right? What's our opportunity? Yeah. yeah, so with that, kind of what my thought is going to, we have, 
what I've seen is we've had like a lot of division in our country. Um, so it's very red versus blue, white versus black, um, straight versus LGBTQ, right? There's this just very divisive um, kind of feeling going on in the country. So what advice do you have or what would you say is kind of maybe something that we can kind of take into play in relating and bringing in people who have a different view from us and, and leading that conversation um, with, and kind of having that openness yeah. with them? It's a great question. And I'm going to go back to a quote from Brene Brown, and she says, um, people are hard to hate close up, so move in, mm -hmm. right? I think wow. when we share each other's stories and we get to know each other, we see that we're not as different as maybe our skin color, religion, age, shape, size, likes, you know, we're really wanting the same thing out of life, mm -hmm. right? To find some sense of joy and connection, to feel valued, to feel like we contribute. Um, and so I think the more we can get to know each other and hear each other's stories, the better able we're going to be able to then really genuinely connect and then work together to find solutions to the problems that we face, right? Yeah. We face real problems, so we definitely need solutions to those problems, yet we can't do it from a divided state, as yeah. you said. And I think the only way to get connected is to really kind of get connected on a deeper, authentic, personal level. So it's gonna take work like understanding each other's stories, understanding identities, learning to ask questions of each other, um, being curious about experiences and what does that mean for you? And wow, really great. Because then once I know that, I start to care for you, now all of a sudden my work with you or is so different with the people we care about, right? And that we see as human. So we need to get to that place, you know? It's almost like this ethic of care or a leadership of care perspective to say, because I care for you all, like, of course we're going to show up together. Of course we're going to do this, right? Um, so we need to expand our capacity to care for more folks, right? Yes. I think it reminds me of a conversation I had the other day with my best friend where we were talking about, like, people no longer want to reach across the aisle. And, like, it's so, like, this is my way and this is how I see it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't see it, you're bad or yeah. you're evil. And, like, obviously most people are not evil or bad. Right. Everyone wants to do some kind of good in this world. I don't yeah. believe there's a person on this earth that doesn't. But it's just so hard that people have gotten this new view of like blinders on, yeah. that metaphor you used of like the flashlight and really seeing what's yeah. on the outside earlier. Right. That's not something that's happening anymore. It's just what's right in front of me. Yeah. I don't care about what's on the side. I'm going to cultivate my feed to do what I like mm -hmm. on social media. I'm going to choose the news station I like or the TV shows that I like that support my viewpoints, but we're not hearing or listening. Yeah. We're hearing, but we're not actually listening. Totally. Taking it in. And then if I see just as you in this narrow light, well, then that gives me the ability to make up the stories about you, right? So all of a sudden I can craft all these parts to you yeah. because I don't really know you and the parts I'm crafting are, they don't reflect not only who you truly are, but they don't reflect positively on you. Because yeah. if all we have are stereotypes, we want to make sense of the world, right? We're designed to kind of make meaning. And that's a good thing because it keeps us safe, right? Meaning making is a way to help us kind of understand our surroundings and keep us safe. But when we make up false meaning, then it really harms us. Mm -hmm. And we've seen the harm in terms of kind of oppression and privilege and power and, and all those things and discrimination. So um, hopefully we can make more accurate meaning by getting to know each other, yeah. you know, and hearing our true stories. I think that's so perfect because it really circles back around to what you said earlier about being curious and taking that time to say, who are you? 
What don't I know about you? What do we have in common? How can we work together? Because I think that no matter what side of the table you fall on, we all agree that there's something wrong. We all agree that this isn't the perfect society right now, mm -hmm. right? It can be better. And so how do we then say, hey, I don't agree with you, but I know we need to work together. How do we do that? Right. Yeah, I mean, I love that. I think, and we have a, a saying, which is, can we replace judgment with curiosity? You know, so can we really be motivated by curiosity about each other, choices, the world, and instead of going right to the judgment of, they did that because, or is this, you know, we just say, I wonder, I wonder what might be going on in their day that they would do that. Well, I don't love that decision, but they're a good person, like you said, you know, so what's going on, I wonder, right? All of a sudden we come at each other and we come at the world differently when we come from a place of genuine curiosity and interest. Yes. So for our listeners who maybe haven't felt what it feels like to understand and recognize a trigger um, or to know when they're reacting to something mm -hmm. instead of responding to something, yeah. what advice do you have for somebody who's brand new at this and wants to kind of figure out how do I recognize when I'm being triggered and then take that time to then get in that curious seat and actually respond instead of just react? Yeah, that's such a great question. So that sort of deep self-awareness can come from reflection, staying you know, attentive to yourself and your choices. I mean, we have some exercises like the tree of life and like values where you do dig into your story and start to look at what in my life has impacted me up to this point, right? Um, and so I'll share kind of one example is for, so for example, um, obviously, you know, being LGBT, uh, part of that community, there's a big clash still with religion and that, right? Well, I was raised very, very Catholic, and I actually loved the Catholic Church, and I loved that part of myself. I went to CCD every Wednesday, we went to church every Sunday. I was the one who got mad at everybody that came on Easter and Christmas because <laughs> where were you, you know, in, in March, and where were you in September when you were going every Sunday? Um, but then there was this point where my sexuality that was emerging and my religion, my faith, just clashed, right? Mm -hmm. Huge, hugely. Um, sexuality one, identity one out. But the thing is, is so going through that and recognizing and still see, uh, spending a lot of years trying to seek out a church and being told, well, we love the sinner, not the sin, or this isn't the church for you, or recognizing that they, you know, they being the Catholic church, the Mormon church gave, you know, millions of dollars to Prop 8. Um, a trigger for me is when someone says they're hyper-religious or they, you know, serve God or if, if, you know, religion is one of their values, I just immediately, like, question, like, take a look, like, okay, am I safe with them? Like, what, what do they think of me? I mean, immediately I go to that. And more and more, um, there are people who are open and amazing in all religions. Like, I know that's true, but I have such sort of deep-rooted I guess supposedly it's trauma, right, mm -hmm. of the Catholic Church with my sexuality, that the minute someone, you know, says that their value is God's will, I'm like, okay, well, where's the exit? Where's the door? Like, don't put me between, you know, me and the door with them in between. Like, I need to get out of here just in case. That's a trigger, right? I know that about myself now. So instead, when somebody says that, I just take a deep breath, you know, and then 
be curious about what else they might have in terms of their perspectives. And, you know, I try and I know that's one part of people, you know, it's not the whole part of people. Um, so that's an example of a trigger, right? I shared my story about uh, being fired and that athletic department was pretty much dominated by straight white men. So um, that is a trigger, right? Men, kind of white men who I perceive are straight in authority roles, leadership roles that have a lot of power is a, is a trigger for me. I'm suspicious of them. I mean, right? So, but I know that. So I need to now kind of recognize when maybe that lump in the throat is happening and then say, okay, take a second. There's no data here except for your own, you know, kind of traumatic experience to tell you that anything is wrong. Chill out and just, stay in the space and let's see what, you know, let this play out. Like right. just be open. And 99% of the time, there's no problem. It's great. We work together. We were in a meeting, whatever it might be. But those kinds of triggers, if we're not conscious of them, mm -hmm. they do derail us, right? They, they'll make us snap. They'll make us a little edgier. They'll make us defensive. And they, they pull us farther from our best self. So that would be the type of thing to be aware of is when do you notice maybe you're pulled from your best self, you're angry, you're irritated, a particular person maybe is a trigger, you're always angry when, you know, after you have a conversation, what's that about? Can you explore it with more depth? Mm -hmm. And then start to learn about yourself so you can kind of have that awareness when it's happening, not when it's too late. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm definitely guilty of like <laughs> that if I'm around a certain kind of person. Yeah. But like you, I think in the moment, like I know for me, I haven't thought like, let me really like slow back slow down mm -hmm. back to that like rushing thing but like what is it about this person and maybe i'm putting that person's offenses against me on them before mm -hmm. they've even done it and yeah. it's not fair to them in the That's moment right. but it's so easy to have those traumas come back up in those interactions which really being mindful yeah. of so sure what it is and i love the words you use right it's being mindful of it right and kind of mindfulness kind of coupled with consciousness is a great combination but it's also recognizing that we all have our triggers. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, to say, oh, I don't have triggers, or those who have triggers are bad, it's just not true. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's, what are my triggers? Mm -hmm. Let me be aware of them, and then let me learn how to move through them so they don't derail me, you know, as much as maybe they did before I was self-aware. So self-compassion, latitude, as we're going through this process is really important, right? Because we all have triggers. And so the question is, can we kind of be more attuned to them? Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about conscious living um, on your day to day. So do you have maybe one or two examples of how you live consciously, how you make sure that you're bringing consciousness into your personal life? Yeah, great. It's such a great question. So a couple of different things. Um, I do have a meditation practice. Sometimes it's short and sweet and it happens at different times of the day. Um, but I think that's really important, the ability to just take some time in the day and slow down and take some breaths. I love the apps Insight Timer or Calm. Sometimes I'll you know, find a five-minute one and just put on headphones and get guided through it. Um, so I think that's a really important practice. Um, the other part is I, I love reading. And so some, I've been trying to start as of recently the day with like what I would consider classic reading, you know, like poetry or Walden, you know, kind of or something like that, Thoreau or Virginia Woolf, just a little snippet of some classic reading that just can connect me to like authors before some poetry and just sort of clear my head that way. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't been as great about being consistent at it recently. For a while, I was really good, but it's a practice that I really like starting the day with. 
And then the other piece is that I journal. I journal a lot. So my bullet journal is always with me and it's also my like planner and agenda, but I will reflect in that journal kind of throughout the day, you know, um, and just notice what's happening with me. Think about where I could be better. If I'm feeling agitated, journal about it. I write things that I'm grateful for just to stay present, take gratitude. Um, so my, my journal is like a key part to that conscious living. I love that because it's, a physical reminder yeah. it's yeah. with you it's your hand yeah it's not something that's like an app on your phone that you'll forget later on yeah yeah that's yeah. so easy with those apps just yeah. to like lose <laughs> like not check it or mm -hmm. forget about it well you mentioned reading so i think for our last question we would love to know what you're reading right now yeah that's a great question and i'm one of those that is sort of guilty of having like five books at once, right? I usually have like my leadership kind of workbook that I'm reading and then my fiction book that I'm reading and then something that's more people's stories because I love the memoir and I love people's stories. So I just finished like literally this morning in the car, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah and I listened to it on Audible. So would recommend that book. I mean, I'd love to even do like a talk on it once everybody here can read it. Um, that was so great when I could go on and on about why that was great. I'm also, I just started Hood Feminism, and I can't remember the name of the woman who wrote it. Um, we can maybe find it out, but that's a really cool story too, and I've been reading more feminist stories and memoirs from women of color. It's like, like I am way good saturated with sort of the white women kind of memoir, and so, um, and there's, a, and anyway, so the, that's one of the book I'm reading, and I'm, I'm really enjoying that. I've Almost done with Austin Channing Brown's I'm Still Here. Love Austin Right? Love yes. her too. Love her Instagram. Love just listening to her. She's very inspiring. Um, and then for my leadership book, I'm reading this book called Essentialism, which is just about how we can be better at honing in on what is essential. That we spend a lot of our daily lives with kind of frivolous tasks that we tell ourselves are important, but they're really distracting us from the core work that we want to be doing. Um, and so that's been really helpful for me as we've been moving through this process, thinking, okay, what do we want to be doing? You know, what is essential for for me right now and for this team, and how can I try to move that forward? So. Um, that's, that's it right now. Wow, that last book, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's a good speaking one. Speaking to me. It's a good so one. It's a good check one. that out. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, Lori, for joining us today. I think you've given a lot of information, a lot of good tips, and hopefully we'll help people start their conscious living. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. What a great yeah. start. Thanks for joining us. New episodes drop every Thursday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To join the conversation and be a part of the community, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at USDCLA or email us at theadjacentself at sandiego.edu. Can't wait to hear from you.